everyone. Welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Lamb. Wherever you are, whoever you are, crypto skeptic, half believer, or enthusiast, it's great to have you tuning in to Crypto Unstacked, where we cover everything from crypto finance to crypto macroeconomics. This podcast assumes basic knowledge of crypto and aims to explore some more advanced topics about the crypto markets, such as trading strategies, lending, and derivatives. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Amber Group to buy or sell any financial products. Information expressed by the host or guest in this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Amber Group. This episode of the Crypto Unstacked podcast is presented by Amber Group. Amber Group is a fully integrated crypto finance platform offering a suite of secondary market services across trading, wealth management, and financing solutions. We are backed by some amazing investors such as Paradigm and Pantera and work with clients and partners all over the world. Head on over to ambergroup.io to learn more about us. That's A-M-B-E-R-G-R-O-U-P dot I-O. In this episode, I'll cover three topics. I'll dive into the crypto options market and give you some of our observations on recent crypto market volatility. I'll talk through the U.S. macro landscape and some of the key fiscal relief and monetary stimulus efforts put in place in response to the financial and health crisis. And I'll also touch on the recent dollar funding shortage problem in the traditional financial market and highlight a similar funding problem that we experienced in the crypto markets not too long ago. Anyone following the news lately will know that the markets are a bit haywire right now, more like WTF, but abnormal and unprecedented, I guess, are more diplomatic ways to sum up the current state of the global economy. Contrary to what I've been hearing, that is, the financial market sell-off and health pandemic are black swan events, Nassim Taleb argues that they are in fact white swan events. Financial crises occur because they are the predictable results of built-up economic and financial vulnerabilities and policy mistakes. Similarly, health pandemics are periodic occurrences throughout history. This pandemic was preventable. So extending this line of thought, should the March 12th crypto market sell-off, a day now called Black Thursday, be considered a black swan or a white swan event? I'd argue that it was a white swan event. That is, if you attribute the sell-off to a confluence of macro factors, no less including the coronavirus scare, and a parallel narrative that is the oil market debacle and all the associated geopolitical tensions. Put simply, if you hypothesize that there would be financial market impact from the world's inability to properly contain the virus, and that pressure felt in the equities market would spill over to some extent into the crypto markets, then all things considered, the crypto sell-off is a result of existing macro vulnerabilities. Although I do realize that it would have been difficult to determine the extent to which pressure would be felt within the crypto markets. As we've mentioned in our past market insights, the crypto market does not operate in a silo separate from the traditional financial markets. Regardless of your view, this health crisis has caused significant disruption across all markets. And now the question is not if we would continue to see volatility in the crypto markets, but rather how much, how much more volatility can we expect? Let's rewind to March and take a look at crypto market volatility also known as vol. 
Four metrics I like to look at are implied vol, realized vol, skew, and term structure. Trading options is effectively betting on the vol of a financial instrument. In other words, they serve as a gauge for the market sensitivity to price vol. Implied vol is the market's forecast of future vol. Ahead of the market sell-off, options are priced relatively cheaply with implied vol hovering around the low 60s. After the Bitcoin price move in March from 7900 to 4500 we saw the one-month implied vol jump to a high of roughly 180 over the following week. This made options much more expensive. Realized 10-day vol also jumped from 72 to about 320. It has since come back down to pre-sell-off levels, but the spike in volatility and massive price corrections resulted in a severe liquidity crunch, with spot exchanges seeing much wider spreads than normal for smaller order sizes. As SKU.com reported in their March Market Insight, quote, order book depth has been gradually improving, but remains significantly wider than usual, end quote. This has an impact on Bitcoin's volatility and is a reason for more up and down intraday price swings. However, Coming out of last month, we are seeing one-month realized volatility retrace to the 90s range, which means the market seems to have tempered down a bit since last month's sell-off. Another measure of sentiment in the options market is skew. Skew is the difference in implied vol for a set of options at various strike prices within a given expiry. When a market is skewed, it simply means that there is more interest in one part of the strikes over the other, say put options compared to call options. Skew.com tracks short-term skew for one, three, and six months. Since the sell-off, we've seen elevated skew with a one-month skew drifting into the put side. This means that we are generally seeing more people buying put options than call options over the past month. Skew.com reported, that Bitcoin SKU spiked on March 12th and 13th as traders covered risk and more miners and lending businesses started to hedge their positions. The SKU has since come down and there seems to be more buying of call options and put options in the market now, although depending on when you are listening, this trend could very well have changed. Lastly, we've also seen a shift in the vol term structure for pre-sell-off compared to now. The term structure illustrates the implied vol of options sharing the same strike price at different expirations, so you can think of it similarly as a measure of future expectation for vol. We are currently seeing near-term vol come off recent highs, meaning the market expects a relatively stable month throughout April. Phew. Longer dated implied vol is pricing modestly higher going into the Bitcoin halving, which arguably seems almost like a non-event given the increase in market vol since the start of the year. We've sort of had a pre-having having already. Now let's turn from options flow to the broader macro front. Whether the economy devolves into a recession or turns around has massive implications for crypto and therefore crypto vol. Now more than ever, it's important to have a pulse on what's going on across global markets. Even if we don't spot any meaningful correlations or causations between crypto and the equity markets in the short term, we may still see spillover effects from traditional finance to the crypto markets over time. This week, Let's focus on the U.S. One of the most eye-opening economic data points is the sharp increase in the number of initial jobless claims, or people filing for unemployment in the United States. It's been reported that initial claims jumped 6.6 million in the week of March 28th, after having risen 3.3 million in the week of March 21st, bringing the total number close to 10 million people. This is unprecedented. The last record was set in 1982 at 695,000. 
As a comparison, the four-week moving average of initial claims has not surpassed the 200,000 range since September 2014. With COVID-19 being declared a health pandemic, U.S. states such as California, Washington, and New York were the first states to begin enforcing mandatory shut-ins and several businesses were forced to close or limit services. As a result, many workers were asked to self-quarantine and work from home. The reality is, however, not everyone is afforded the privilege to work from home. Those that couldn't and whose employers couldn't afford to pay were laid off or furloughed. The numbers will continue to increase as businesses, small and large, find themselves struggling to maintain payroll. It would be naive to think that the startups and companies in the crypto space were immune. With the total number of COVID-19 cases in the U.S. now surpassing that of China, it's only a matter of time before this health crisis starts to ripple through and cause more disruption in the overall economy. So far, in response to limiting the economic disruption of this health crisis, we are seeing coordinated fiscal and monetary policies to stem the bleeding. On the fiscal side, U.S. Congress recently passed a historic $2 trillion economic relief bill called the CARES Act, which is set to bring much-needed funds to various parts of the economy and direct handouts to households. In an effort to help save the broader economy from drowning, Congress has asked the Fed to step in with small business lending programs to extend loans that help cover about two months of payroll expenses and other costs. This is to help businesses preserve employment and will ultimately survive. In terms of monetary stimulus, the Fed has cut rates back to zero, established repo operations, started purchasing large amounts of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, cut the discount window rate to 25 basis points, and introduced a number of lending facilities to improve liquidity in the system. This list is going to continue to grow. Through the ongoing slew of headlines, the stock markets have surprisingly posted some of their best-performing days despite heavy market sell-offs. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, for example, rebounded more than 11% on March 24th, making it one of the Dow's best days since 1933. At the time of recording, the Wall Street Journal reports that the S&P 500 is on track to climb 11% for the week, on pace for its largest one-week percentage gain since March 2009. But do these gains really mean anything? While some are quick to denounce a prolonged bear market and claim that we are once again in the beginnings of a fresh bull market cycle, I'm not so swayed. I call bull on that. I'm rather cautious, despite implied volatility trending lower. The VIX has come down about 50% from its high of around 85, but still remains elevated from where we started the year around the mid-teens. While this may signal a more stable equities market, nothing can be discounted. I think the markets are likely to continue ping-ponging over the next few months. The trajectory of an impending recession will largely depend on how governments and central banks are able to work together to take care of the economy through combined economic relief efforts. Also, the faster society is able to flatten the curve of this pandemic, the quicker the economy can get up on its feet and begin to heal from the damages. The consensus is that the global economy is seeing a simultaneous supply and demand side shock. A supply shock as a result of supply chain disruptions and demand shock from the halting of economic activity. I, for one, am not going out to shop these days. Remember that consumer spending is roughly 60% of US GDP. When consumer activity is constrained to the level it is now, we can expect a hard hit to Q1 and Q2 GDP. A contraction is almost certain for Q1. The question is by how much? Economists at Goldman are forecasting a steep 34% contraction to Q2 GDP. 
Meanwhile, another story that I think is very interesting to follow is the U.S. dollar. A strong dollar led to a massive dollar funding problem in the markets. On March 20th, the dollar index hit a high of 102.8, but has since softened just under 100 on the back of encouraging monetary stimulus actions from the Federal Reserve, helping to ease funding issues. On April 1st, the Bank for International Settlements, or the BIS, published their research on dollar funding costs during the COVID-19 crisis through the lens of the FX swap market. I don't usually read BIS documents, by the way, for fun, but these takeaways were concise, so no use trying to sum it up any other way. Here are the main conclusions from their research, which I quote directly. Since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, indicators of dollar funding costs in foreign exchange markets have risen sharply, reflecting both demand and supply factors. The demand for dollar funding has grown in recent years, reflecting the currency hedging needs of corporates and portfolio investors outside the U.S. Against this backdrop, the financial turbulence of recent weeks has crimped the supply of dollar funding from financial intermediaries, sharply lifting indicators of dollar funding costs. Lastly, these costs have narrowed after central banks deployed dollar swap lines, but broader policy challenges remain in ensuring that dollar funding markets remain resilient and that central bank liquidity is channeled beyond the banking system. So why do I highlight dollar funding? Because the dollar is still king! Despite the down-with-the-dollar ethos many Bitcoiners share, the reality is that dollar liquidity keeps global markets flowing. When dollar funding was extremely scarce earlier last month, the market was scrambling and looked to the Federal Reserve for relief. The Fed took action by deploying swap lines and establishing temporary repo facilities for foreign and international monetary authorities. The Bitcoin market saw a similar dollar funding shortage at the start of this year when the futures curve was heavily in contango, meaning Bitcoin futures was trading at a premium to spot prices. As we wrote in our article, Dollar Scarcity and Contango in Crypto back in February of this year, we saw similar contrasting pressure points, increasing demand for dollars and lack of supply. Increasing demand for dollars from traders to lock in the cash and carry trade and capture basis, but a shortage of dollar liquidity from the market and lending desks. This happened to coincide with general market volatility, and we started to see sell-side pressure weigh in on Bitcoin, forcing the curve into backwardation for a brief period of time amidst chaos in the financial markets. And as a result, basis narrowed significantly. At the time of recording, basis is ranging between negative 17 and 2%. To be honest, the futures curve seems like it can't make up its mind. It was in backwardation after the sell-off, was inching back towards contango, and now seems to have found its place in heavy backwardation, but this could change very quickly. If the crypto markets were to face another dollar shortage down the line during a full-on market recession when everyone is strapped for cash, the question is how we can solve this problem in the absence of a backstop liquidity provider, such as the Fed. As we know, no Bitcoin money go burr. I'll come back to this point in the future. That's a wrap for this week's Crypto Unstacked podcast. If you like what you heard, please do share and subscribe on Spotify or any other available streaming service. Engage with us through social media. I'll provide details in the show notes. Or connect with me on Twitter, at Les Lambo, L-E-S-L-A-M-B-0. Would love to chat with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take care and see you at our next episode.